When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They live in the sewer. Yes, yeah. they do. Yes. And enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> they relish in yeah. it. Mackey and Judd. And the way they walk with their back end up in the air, that's yeah. just plain evil. <laughs> yeah. It's just gross. On 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd are talking twins. Now, now with MLB Network contributor and senior baseball writer with The Athletic, Jason Stark. Brought to you by Grundhofer's Old Fashioned Meats. Bring the excitement of Grundhofer's to your next cookout. All right, Jason Stark. Jason, we're a little bit torn. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we, we saw your name up for the Spink Award. Congratulations on, on being a finalist. And immediately we thought, yes, that's our guy. We want Jason Stark to win. But then the next name was our colleague and dear friend Patrick Royce, who's up for the award for the second year in a row. And uh, we're torn here, so I don't know if you yeah. guys want to. Uh, maybe you guys can thumb wrestle for it or something. <laughs> is that how this works? It'd be good system. <laughs> Pat, no, Pat is like Pat's the humblest of. He doesn't. He doesn't want. He's actively campaigning against, against himself. The yeah, he doesn't want to travel and ah, you know, self-deprecating. Give it to somebody else. You know, I wasn't really planning strategic TV ads in in, in major markets either. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey. I, I, you know, I've loved reading Patrick Royce for a long time. I've loved reading Jim Reeves for a long time. Those guys are friends. They're great at their jobs. They always have been. And it's cool to be on the ballot with them. Uh, there's not a wrong answer. Hopefully, maybe I am. I have no idea. But I'm really, I'm just honored to be on there. I, when I After I found out I was on the ballot, I went and took a look at some of the names of the Spink Award winners, and whoever winds up winning, we're in a good company, man. Red Smith's in the Spink Award. <laughs> Jim Murray, yep. Mark Gammons, Roger Angel. Yep. Keep going, but what a group. Come on, Stark. Bash, bash Patrick for just one a second here. Come on. We need some mudslinging here. Yeah, we this, need some mudslinging. This is no fun. This being kind thing is no fun. That's not how this is supposed to work. <laughs> Just give you know, take a shot. I don't know. It's just kind of how I roll. I mean, uh, like the the, the whole um, ambiance of Patrick is unique in every way. Understatement, I right can't there. Compete with that. Can't do it. 
Uh, speaking of bashing, what is your uh, re- reaction to what the commissioner had to say about Mike Trout uh, on PTI a couple of days ago? Basically, basically calling out Trout for not doing more to publicize himself. I mean, b- baseball is definitely at, at a point here where it would be nice for the star players to get more attention. Personally, I didn't think it was fair to call out a guy who doesn't seek attention but is also seemingly a really good kid. Yeah, this is a tricky one because I know for a fact this has been a topic inside Major League Baseball. In fact, I wrote a piece uh, last year on still at ESPN uh, with an anonymous quote from a baseball official that really got people. It was kind of similar to this, kind of got people riled up. And it's it's tricky because they love Mike Trout. Everybody loves Mike Trout. It's hard not to. I mean, the greatest thing about him is he's so real. He's completely genuine. There's nothing phony about him. I watch the way he treats people. Uh, and I see him sign autographs every single day before batting practice. Uh, my colleague at the Athletic, Pedro Mora, posted a photo of just, just about a week or so ago. He saw a kid in the stands wearing a trout jersey, uh, brought the kid down onto the field during batting practice. I mean, he's just a wonderful guy. But here's the thing. They would love to strap their sport on his back, and he's just not up for that. And what I would have done instead is, rather than say that publicly, give Mike a call if I were the commissioner and say, you know what, next time you're in New York, let's go to lunch. And then when he gets out there to lunch and he's sitting at the table, say, you know, Mike, we love you. We love everything about you. You're just what our sport needs. But we need more from you. And just point out the stuff that Peyton Manning and LeBron James and Steph Curry do all the time because there's responsibility that goes with being the best player in your sport that those players take on, and he just hasn't been interested in taking on. I would tell him, we need you in the WBC. We need you in the Home Run Derby. Think about it. It would be awesome for you. It would be awesome for our sport. Let's, what can we do to make that happen? That's how I would have handled it rather than speak about it publicly. Yeah, we, we found uh, from an article, we found Q rating scores or Q scores that sort of measure you know, popularity. And, and this is just United States audiences. And, and we found a comparison. Mike Trout's Q rating is 22, and yeah. which is the equivalent in the NBA to Kenneth Fareed's Q rating. Just, just a scrappy bench player in the NBA. <laughs> And that's and I and I'm and, it all. right exactly and that wouldn't have been the case thirty years ago forty years ago the best baseball player would have been more of a household name and and I'm wondering how much of it is symptomatic of just where baseball's at in general especially among younger fans and how much of it is just more specific to Mike Trout being kind of a reserved figure. I think there's a little of both going on. Uh, you know, the piece I reference that I wrote um, was in reaction to a poll. Um, of Americans, it was I think it was thirteen and up, something like that. Uh, who's your favorite? Who's your, who's, who, who would you say is the is your favorite athlete? I believe that's the way the question was phrased. Mm-hmm. And there was not a single active baseball player in the top fifty. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, right? It was Babe Ruth, who was really, really not active. <laughs> not and, so much. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Derek Jeter. Uh, who was not participating, and Pete Rose, who's not only retired, 
but is banned from the sport. Yeah. And, you know, I just, that just felt wrong to me. And if I remember, the quote that I used was something to the effect of, Kevin Durant goes to, the, goes to China in the offseason, uh, and he's got 5 million Twitter followers, and Mike Trout won't leave Millville. It's just frustration over that. And, look, I get it. I know how hard the season is. I know how long the season is. I really do love everything about that guy. But for some reason, the other sports are able to do a better job of making these players, their greatest players, understand everything that goes with it. Part of Mike Trout's Q waiting is he's never played in a postseason game that his team won. You know, like, that's hard to believe, too. Um, that's not his fault, obviously. But this is an ongoing conversation, and I think people are oversimplifying it on both sides. I agree. Uh, this this would take some doing, and and the ethics of this, Jason, would be incredibly questionable. But if you're Man- if you're Manfred, do you privately behind the scenes right now start to grease the skids for, for when Mike's contract comes up to get him to the Yankees, the Phillies, an East Coast team? Because my contention is that in this sport, with where he plays right now, you're never going to maximize who he is so do you do you hope and or actually do things behind the scenes to try and get him to the east coast where he's playing you know in prime time where where he's seen by lots of people where espn talks about him probably incessantly on its shows i i don't think that's the commissioner's place to do that in fact i think it, w- it would be dead wrong to to do that um, I mean, I don't know how you define tampering. It feels like tampering. Oh, it w- yeah, it would be. And, and I actually think it'd be good for the sport if this guy played every game for the team that signed him, like Willie Mays did and Mantle did, and there'd be a lot to be said for that. And I think that everybody wanted that for a long time, including him. But I also believe that if he is approaching free agency – and he, we're, we're still talking about how the Angels have only made the postseason one time in his career and never won a game that he played in. Um, that would be a big factor in driving him to go somewhere else. Um, if they were in the postseason every year, we'd be having a different conversation, right? You can be, you can be famous and play for a team in the L.A. market, right? You would hope so, done. but... It's just they don't win. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Jason Stark with us. You can find his stuff, theathletic.com slash MLB uh, stadium. You can find his baseball stories on, on uh, the stadium Facebook platform and stadium TV. So Manny Machado gets dealt to the Dodgers, and, and now you're seeing the Indians just made a big trade for two, Brad Hand and uh, is it is it Simber? I, I don't even know how to yep. pro- I've seen it in print a million times. I've never pronounced it, but two flame-throwing relievers. So teams are making moves here. Do you think the Twins could take advantage of the post-Manny Machado fallout? Like the Phillies maybe looking for some infield help. You know that uh, that the Brewers have been in conversations here about Brian Dozier. Is it possible the Twins could could maybe ride that secondary wave now that Machado's off the board? No doubt about it. Now, you know, Brian Dozier's a different player than Manny Machado. Plays a different position. Plays on the right side of the infield versus the left side of the infield. But uh, I I have no doubt 
there will be a market for him already is a market for him and i would be surprised if he doesn't get moved uh, if escobar doesn't get moved um if jaco rizzi doesn't get moved um it, lance lynn doesn't get moved a, a lot's going to depend on all the moving pieces out there and there'll be a lot of them i think this is going to be more of a quantity market than a than a star-driven market, very few difference makers. And so at that point, why would those guys not get moved? I mean, think, like Brian Dozier throws a jolt into your team if you get him. Mm-hmm. Not many players out there like that. All-star game, uh, home runs, strikeouts. So that, that's been the story of the year, Jason. Is that good for the sport that we saw that? Or is it just a symptomatic of, of what a lot of people consider to be wrong, which is we're seeing tons of home runs and strikeouts and not much in between the season? Well, I, I actually thought it was a really fun all-star game. Um, and home runs can be fun. There was, sure. <laughs> look, we made, we made home run history. There had been one game in the history of baseball in which ten different players homered before that game. Uh, there had never been a game where five players from each team homered. Never in postseason, regular season, all-star game history. Never. And, you know, went back and forth, went extra innings. There's, there's some cool stuff that happened in that game. Home runs are good, but I, I think the game needs to be more than just home runs. Do you know that... The National League, Javi Baez, on the very first pitch of the game, hit a single, and then the National League never hit another single. Yeah. <laughs> no, I never. You know, I didn't Baseball think about that. Baseball summarized wow. <laughs> right there. That's amazing. Right. And, and look, Whoa. everybody agrees that the game needs more action. You need more web gems. You need mm-hmm. more players running around the bases. You need more plays at the plate and on the bases, and that'd be more fun. Um, Trying to figure out how we get there is the hard part. Yeah, yeah. We'll continue that conversation, I think. All right, we uh, we we bring the music, you bring the trivia, and um, I think we've done a pretty good job this year. We'll see if Jason can stump us this time around. Jason Stark's weekly trivia. Let's do this. Yeah, I think uh, I think you got a really good shot at this one. Um, but you know, Mike Trout inspired it. He. <laughs> He's good. He's pretty good. He's a good He's baseball player. 15 in his career in the All-Star game. So I want you to tell me who, which twin has gotten the most All-Star hits since 1961. He's the only twin who has gotten more hits in all the All-Star games that he played in than Mike Trout has already gotten. I Rod Carew, first right? name that comes to my, my mind is Rodney. Yes, he played in the most All Star games. Now he did play in some with the Angels, maybe. So there was. Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah, but um, just and, Matt. I mean, Puckett played in ten and one, and he won an MVP in one of them. It'd be it, it would be Puckett or Carew. I think it'd be Carew, Puckett, and Killebrew probably could factor in as well. But I I don't think he's the answer. I would go with Carew. Let's go with Carew. Rod Carew. Excellent guess. No. Actually, has the third most hits. Whoa! Anyway, Rod Carew, eleven All Star games as a twin. Yeah, five for thirty-one. Whoa! Really? Wow! What a failure! I, I always knew Rod Carew was a fraud. Oh, what a failure! That's so disappointing. <laughs> so wait, so five five for thirty-one? That's embarrassing. And, Rodney, come on, buddy. And Jason, if, if I'm not mistaken, he had two triples in the '78 game in San yeah. Diego. So right. three hits otherwise. Oh. Exactly. Well, I mean, Kurt Triples. 
three singles. Well, then who so is he's it? Third. I'm trying to think of who the other one. I mean, Puckett's got to be one of the two. Puckett's ahead of him, but he is not the answer either. Uh, Kirby got seven hits, so you need that's as many as Trout, right? So he's, you got to have one, at least one more. So you guys got it. It was Killebrew, Harmon, okay. Killebrew. All right, eight of them. That is it's so. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Three of the three of the eight were home runs, of course. Of course they were. Yeah. Well, congratulations. You stumped us again, Jason. We appreciate it. Could Rodney we'll take be, our loss and tip our cap. How can Rodney be that average to below average in all-star games? That Small sample size against the best pitchers in the world. I, I mean, guess. That's what yeah. But I, I just want you to appreciate Trout in that context. Yeah, he oh, was. he's unbelievable. I mean, he, didn't he lead off the target field all-star game with a triple yes. as well in 2014? Yeah, triple in the first. Right. Uh, his first four all-star hits were single, double, triple homer. Yeah. Wow. Of course they were. Yeah, no one knows who he is. Now, if that. Kenneth Fareed had tripled in an all-star game, then you know. And tweeted about it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we'll <laughs> take that. Yep. All right, Jason. <laughs> Thanks, we'll Jason. We'll catch up next week. All right. Fun, guys. Thanks. Jason Stark from The Athletic. And... We wish him luck, and we wish Patrick luck as they, uh, and they fight guy to too. the death for the yeah, and that guy. No, we, as they fight to the <laughs> no. death for the Spink Award. Uh, also, we're going to talk to Roy Smalley in about fifteen minutes. We'll keep the Twins conversation going. And Chip Scoggins, our friend who usually hangs out in the nine o'clock hour on Thursdays, will join us in the noon. Mackie and Judd are back. Please continue on fifteen hundred ESPN. All right, before we uh, get back into reckless baseball trade speculation. Let's throw it to Dave Harrigan at the British Open update desk. We're following along. Tiger standing over what looks to be like a 30-foot birdie putt. He's hanging in there. The sun is shining. Who do we got on the leaderboard, Dave Harrigan? Yes, we have a lovely list of names here at Carnoustie. Yes, for the Open Championship. Kevin Kisner still leads the field. He's at five on the pole. He is rolling. Almost sank a 30-footer for birdie. A lot of almost from Tiger today. A lot of almost made a birdie here. A lot of almost chipped in from there. But unfortunately, still not good enough to lead lead the field. However, still playing very well. We'll get to his name. Eric Von Ruin, Tony Finau, and Xander Lombard. Are at four under par, one behind the leader. Uh, at three under, you will find a group of three. Brandon Stone, Ryan Moore, and Justin Thomas. And then there's Tiger Woods amongst the group at two under par. A large group featuring also John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Danny Willett, and others. As we check out who is losing the tournament, we go down, David down, Duvall. down. David Duvall's got to be on there somewhere. He he, is yes, at, he still plays the British. He is at nine over par, but still two shots better than Darren Clark alone wow. at 11 over par for the championship. Wow. Thank you, Dave Harrigan. Uh, that is Dave Harrigan from the British Open Update desk. Heck of a job. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic job. <laughs> uh, so here are the two relievers that Cleveland just traded for. They they traded one of the best prospects in baseball, Francisco Mejia. Mm-hmm. He's a catcher. He's been up and down with them this year, but they're in full win-now mode. They're looking at their roster saying it's World Series or bust. Yep, he had played a game for them this season, too. Okay. That, and and t- 22. But this is a good trade, and here's why. Well, he, here, here are the two relievers they got. So they got Brad Hand, who he's from Minnesota, from Chaska. Uh, Brad Hand, the last three years, has a two and a half ERA and strikes out 12 batters per nine innings. And then this Adam Simber, 
who I believe is a submarine ball thrower, sidearm submarine guy, All right-hander. Right. And he has, let's see here, 51 strikeouts and 48 innings in a 3.17 ERA so far this year. So two of the best relievers from the Padres for one of the best prospects in baseball. Yeah, so this guy, uh, Keith Law, had the catcher as a uh, top-five prospect. But I will say that this is the point in time, if you're ever going to make this trade, and and it's a slightly dicey trade, but if you're going to, to make this trade, this is when you make this trade, right? Because you've got a chance to win here. Like this isn't this isn't a nice Cleveland team. This is a really good team, and their bullpen's a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. They they went from having the best bullpen ERA in the big leagues last year to being second to worst as of right now in the American League. So if you're ever going to make the decision to pull the trigger on a trade like this, it's right now. Where where when the Twins went and got caps, as I recall, John Roush, who I didn't like that much, was doing a halfway decent job. And I don't know that you looked at that as the right time to trade a top prospect. This is the right time to trade a top, a top prospect. And plus you're getting two guys back, not one, and hand is superior to caps. Yeah, and this is I mean, this has been their kryptonite bullpen. And so if this if this is their big move, and maybe they even trade for another reliever somewhere in the next two weeks, but if this is their move, you'd have to think that their team is kind of ready for a push. Yeah. And and so not only are the Twins, what, six and a half games behind? Seven, or seven, and, a half. seven, seven and, and a half games, half games behind. After a nine and two homestand. The team they're chasing. And the Twins do have a lot of weak teams on their schedule. The Indians do as well. They play in the same division, obviously. But uh, if, if you thought, man, you can take advantage of the Indians have a weak bullpen, well, maybe they don't anymore because right. they just added these two guys so I don't think Falvey and Levine needed any more validation for selling. But they got it if they needed it's it. It's just like, what do you, what long shot are you hoping for? Take advantage of a career season by Eduardo Escobar. Take advantage of Brian Dozier heating up. Yeah. And, uh, and let's see what the Twins can get back. And, and you made a couple of deadline moves last year. But that was sort of a feel-good feel team, a good story. This team, I got no hope for. Well, actually, Stark threw out an interesting name that we haven't thought about yet, but Jake Odorizzi only has one more year left on his team control. Mm-hmm. And and we've been talking about, well, hey, Kyle Gibson, I mean, if, if you can trade a year and a half of Kyle Gibson to some team, Odorizzi has been struggling a little bit lately. I don't know if anyone would look at him and say, or Gibson, and say, yep, that's the guy that's going to take us, you know, in, in, as a postseason rotation guy. But throwing his name in the mix, right? If... If you could convince a team that a year and a half of Jake Odorizzi is valuable and attach him to one of your position players, maybe yep. that's how you boost up the return on uh, on investment, right? To uh, I hadn't thought Brewers, about Odorizzi because I thought Odorizzi the would Brewers? just be penciled in. The yeah. Brewers make some sense. Didn't the Brewers draft Jake Odorizzi? Yeah, I think they did. I feel like they, yeah, you, feel like they yeah, drafted him. I think you're right. But if you took so if you if you handcuffed Odorizzi to Dozier and traded them to the Brewers, this goes back to the conversation that we had a couple days ago. I think you could go to Milwaukee then and say, "Give me a top five prospect, probably probably four or five, mm-hmm. and then give me a top fifteen as well." But if you handcuff those guys together, how would Odorizzi field his position? Well, he'd break free. <laughs> well, actually, if it was just if okay, so if I'm Jake and my I I'm right-handed, right? So I would have to have my left wrist handcuffed to Dozier's. And your second baseman would be playing way Do- in, obviously. Club, right, but he could still make plays. <laughs> I mean, he's a battler. Come on. He could, he Brian's could flip a battler. Ball, backhand flip the ball, for sure. That trade, that trade. If you could do that trade and get two top prospects, I, I, I think I'd prefer to trade Gibson, but I'm not completely sold on that statement. Yeah, I was. I uh, might be wrong there. 
I, I would I would I would explore him for sure. And, and the Escobar thing, I've been on the fence about him. Like, do you, do you trade if you trade him? Does it yes. lower the chances of him coming back? Like, whatever. He's he's your most valuable player. The guy is leading the league with doubles. He's at thirty five doubles yep. this season. Yeah. And and this is the mistake the Twins have made time and time again. Usually with the old regime, where a guy will have a peak season. Francisco Liriano, two thousand ten. Delman Young, two thousand ten. Um, it's happened with other guys before too. And and it's it's time to decide is this a guy who's going to be around for three to five years? And if so, awesome, plan for it, pay him whatever, sign him to a contract. If the answer is no, that's the best time to trade him. Yes, like just take advantage of the peak career season. Assume that it's probably not going to happen again at that age, and and get something in return. And if you know if he wants to resign in the offseason, he can resign in the offseason. Do you think Escobar? What what type of offers do you think he's going to get? I think he's a really really valuable piece. For a team that could go to the postseason, might even have you. You could move him around to four different positions. I I think he's valuable. I really do. I think he's more valuable than Brian Dozier in a trade. Even though Dozier might have the more explosive saying, uh, upside on the market offensively. What What's your guess this this winter or into oh, for, oh. yes? So when when he becomes so if you're the Twins and you don't trade him. And and he goes and takes himself to the market. What do you think he gets contract wise? He gets a two, maybe a three year contract, and he makes between eight and twelve million dollars a year. All right. I think it's a like a tw- I think it's like a three year twenty five million dollar deal or so, or two year right. eighteen million dollar deal, something like that. Let's talk to Roy Smalley when we come back here. Twins uh, they start the second half of their season tomorrow, and we'll see if we'll see if they come back home in a couple weeks with. A much lighter load, luggage-wise. We'll talk to Roy next, and Chip Scoggins joins in the noon. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yes. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now. With former twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. All right, we're trying to trying to track down our guy Roy Smalley here. Um, he played in the 1979 All Star Game, and I'm sure has some. Star- that was one of your favorite All Star. One games. of my favorites. What, in remind Seattle. me, I, I was negative oh, six years old. Dave, me, that was Kingdom. Uh yeah, single to right field, and uh, Brian Downing of the Angels on second base. Dave Parker fields it and heaves it home. Had a cannon for an arm, and um, gets Downing at the plate. And Downing tried to go, so Downing, instead of going uh, the back way to, to try and touch home plate, went the front way and tried to get around Gary Carter, the catcher, and Carter made a great play to block it off. So, yeah. a really cool play. The type of play, Phil, that you would never see in an All-Star game today. No, because I guys mean, are making a lot more money. And oh, yeah. Guys are and you wouldn't try. And, friendly. And there was, a, there, there was a rivalry that existed there that actually spoke to maybe a little true hatred at the time, which is long gone. Yeah. Well, it, it's, I think social media and it, whether you know, basketball, AAU, there's so many things that connect us more now. Whether you're a fan, I mean, just before interleague play, the novelty was watching National League pitcher face American League hitter that you'd never seen before, right? Roy Smalley. Uh, Roy, you got to have some stories. It's All-Star Week about the 1979 game, the All-Star game, where you guys basically played the Phillies, right? The opposing <laughs> roster was, it was basically the Phillies against the American League. Yep, it was a um, lot of a uh, lot of great players. Well, that's when you know the uh, the Reds players had gone over to the uh, the Phillies, and it was not long after the advent of um, uh, free agency. And it was uh, it, 
it was pretty interesting. But I, the, what I remember about that, it's just the whole how cool the All Star experience is, and we talk, we've talked about it. But you go out there and take the field. We are the home team in Seattle, and you look around uh, at your teammates, and it's it's surreal. It's it's uh, it's one of the great thrills uh, of Major League Baseball is being able to be surrounded by uh, by great players everywhere you look, including the. Uh the Parker throw home from right field, right? Because that's the that's the play that I think stands out from from that game when he uh, threw Brian Downing out of home play, Roy. It does, but you know what? Here's something that's that's overlooked. It's really under appreciated and re- and and remembered. The block of the plate by Gary Carter on, on that play on that throw. I mean, Dave Parker made two great throws. He threw somebody out of third and then threw uh, Brian Downing out to plate in a key moment. But the block of the play by uh, by Gary Carter uh, on uh, Brian Downing there was uh, like textbook and yep. and tough and and something to behold. It was I, I just wish that got more more notoriety than it, than it did because it was it was an all star play as well. Hey Roy, how, how did you you guys feel about the other league at that time? Because now it seems like like lots of guys are friends and teams certainly play each other now on a far more consistent basis. Uh, but I recall when I started to watch that game, and for the first five to eight years, it might not have been a true hatred, but there was a passion to win. I think I still like to win, but the rivalry might be gone now as far as, as from what I can see in watching the All-Star game. I think you're right. I'm not exactly – the there was a big rivalry, no question about it. Uh, there wasn't there wasn't animosity, but there was a uh, – there was a – Keen sense of one, not just wanting to win, but beat the beat the other league, and it was felt by uh, by both sides uh, clearly, and I, I, that's not uh, in evidence uh, uh, today. And and uh, it, but the, you know the game has changed in that way. I thought it was, you know, in those days, there's no way that they would have mic'd up any of the players and had you know like Francisco Lindor laughing you know in between pitches and all that. It just, it just wasn't that time, and I. I frankly, um, I, I liked the, I, I like wanting to win the game desperately. I liked the rivalry, but on the other hand, boy, I got a kick out of those guys talking during. The, I don't know about you guys, but I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fun twist. It just makes it fun, and it's ultimately it's an entertainment platform, right? There, you're there, you're watching for three or four hours. Hey, what was I know Reggie Jackson? You, you played uh, in the league. Reggie Jackson had been in the league a little bit longer, but. Uh, he was on that American League team, and I'm sure you got to know him throughout your career. What was because he was really we talk about entertainment and the new media age and TV and Reggie Jackson was kind of that figurehead for baseball in the entertainment department. What was he like even behind the scenes? And do you have any Reggie Jackson stories? Well, none really that I can uh, that I can share with you. But, <laughs> uh, but Reggie was always Reggie, whether it was behind the scenes or on the field. He was the same guy, and that is a monstrous talent with a, with an ego to match. And um, he, he was that way, and uh, you know he was that way off the field uh, as well. He and I always, as um, opponents, always got got along pretty well. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, why? But there was some, there was, uh, I guess, some mutual respect there. And uh, he actually, um, uh, when uh, my uncle Gene Mock passed away, and we did a, a, a fairly uh, big memorial service in uh, in Palm Springs area for Gene. Uh, you know, Reggie came down and and 
and and did a very very nice um, remembrances uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, kind of deal for Gene, and I always really appreciated that. Hey Roy, walking into the clubhouse that year, uh, was there one guy in particular who you stopped and said, "Wow"? I mean, was there? And clearly, I know that because of Gene. You certainly knew uh, players growing up, but was there one guy who you were at least a little bit starstruck by because of the the uh, magnitude of who that was? No, I don't think so. I played against the guys, you know, long enough, to, you know, just not to be starstruck or odd, but just be um, really thrilled to be a part of that team. Uh, you know, I went out to shortstop uh, in the in the top of the first inning. And, you know, I look to my right, and it's George Brett, and I look to my double play partners, Frank White, and Carl Yastrzemski's throwing me the, the in-between inning ground balls, and it's uh, Jim Rice and Freddie, uh, and uh, Freddie Lynn and, and Reggie in the outfield, and, and Nolan Ryan's on the mound, and I'm, I'm just out there thinking, <laughs> this, is, this is pretty doggone cool. Roy, if the Twins wind up parting ways either either in the next couple of weeks or just because their contracts are up at the end of the year with Maurer, Dozier, and Escobar, as far as a clubhouse leadership, face of the team sort of perspective, who do you like to emerge among the current group? Well, that's a great question. There would be, if... If things had gone differently for uh, Buxton and Sano, I, I think that you would have, especially Byron. I think has the kind of personality that could, and um, and will will grow into um, the ability to uh, lead. He already does by example with the way he plays, and then I think the next step is is being the more uh, the more vocal. Uh, but you know, he's got he both he and Sano have to get there you know, get uh, squared away uh, themselves uh, uh, with, from a performance standpoint. So uh, for, that, for that to happen. Right. Uh, post-All-Star break, aside from wins, what do you think is the most important thing uh, that, that you w- want to see from this team in the time that's left? Well, I want to see the the guys that they're counting on so heavily, uh, you know, take the next step uh, toward uh, being the guys that they, um, you know, that we all thought they would be. And we've talked about that with Sano and Buxton. I think that's vitally important that you know Buxton get healthy and come up and figure it out. Same with uh, with Sano. I think Max Kepler is in that um, that situation. Max. If you would have told me going into this season that that Max uh, Kepler was going to be hitting left-handers really well, I would have I would have predicted that he was going to hit 300 and hit 25 home runs. Um, and you know, for him not to be hitting right-handers as well uh, is is a head scratcher uh, uh, for me. But uh, you know, Polanco had that great second half last season, and he he missed the whole first half. So there's all kinds of I mean, those guys, Kepler, Buxton, Sano, Polanco, uh, those, are, those are backbone guys that uh, have not, for one reason or another, you know, uh, for lots of different kinds of reasons, not, not performed the way we expected they would perform this year, obviously. Yeah, do you, yeah. I think that's really important. I, I don't know how you make it going into the offseason, I I, if you're the, the front office, I don't. I don't know how you assess the the ball club 
if those four guys are re, remain as big a question marks, you know, going into the offseason as they were going into this season, or yeah. bigger. And there's another way. I mean, Alex Kirilov is just mashing every level, and he's on the right. Brent Rooker has sort of figured it out at Double A, and the, and he's going to be 24 years old. I'm sure the Twins would like to fast track him. It's almost like, and then and Royce Lewis is off to a hot start at high A, so he might be in the mix later next year. It's almost like the next wave of prospects is starting to catch up to the guys that we thought were going to be the nucleus for a good season this year. I think that those kids are have an awful lot of potential. There's no question about it. But I, I, we can't get too excited about uh, about high A for sure, and and um, and and even double A to. You know, to to some extent, I think those those kids are coming. No question. Uh, I really think it's 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 way more important for the four guys I just mentioned to you know to uh, to to be consistently uh, you know strong big league players, or or even with the kids that are coming within the next two or three years, it's going to be a it's going to be kind of a tough deal. On the Kepler thing, it w- it would seem that. You know, there's a lot of guys who just can't hit like-handed pitching, right? There's a lot of left-handed hitters who are they're platoon hitters because they can't hit lefties, and that's just how it is. It would seem that if he's mastered lefties to some extent, and now he's just regressed against righties, it would seem like that's a lot more fixable. Do you see anything as you watch him swing and, and you watch his approach? Is there something different compared to the last couple seasons? You know, I... I think there's. Um, I, I think it's an experience factor uh, for Max more than anything else. It, it, meaning, it, meaning an approach. Uh, I, I think he's gotten by on that beautiful swing and and the talent to uh, to to put the big end of the bat on the ball in a, in a really nice swing plane. Um, I just I see him getting himself in into tough counts uh, or it, uh, taking a pitch that. I, I saw it the other day, and I can't remember which game it was, but it, I, he is a, a low fastball hitter, deadly on low fastballs, especially if it's just inside middle. And he was up in a situation the other day when he could have driven in uh, some runs, and and the first pitch was that pitch. And I think it seems to me like if he just, if he ever say someone asked him what's your pitch, he would have, he would have described that one, and um, he took it for strike one, and then the next thing you know, it's nasty pitch, nasty pitch, you know, for a strikeout. And yeah. I see those kinds of things happening where he, take a, he takes his pitch, and I don't know what he's thinking. And, or he swings at a ball early in a count, you know, like a breaking ball. You know, from a right-hander, you want to say, maybe you were looking for that pitch. Maybe you and the hitting coach decided that he was going to throw you mostly breaking balls. That's one thing. But if you're just up there, as his stated objective is, is, I'm just going to go up there and try to hit the ball hard. At the big league level, you have to have a better approach than that, a more a, an approach that will that will give you a better chance. You just can't put yourself in a hole um, and, and uh, by swinging at pitches that aren't the ones you want to hit early in counts or yeah. taking those pitches that you should hit. Yeah. And that's what it looks like to me. And it doesn't look like anything hugely mechanical. Yeah. And maybe if he, and if he breaks out in the second half and, and and he puts the whole thing together, it makes you feel a lot better going into next season about your your corner outfield spots that are kind of set. But uh, it's up to him. We'll see what happens. Roy, great stuff. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Roy. Okay, guys. All right, Roy Smalley from Fox Sports North. They just showed a graphic. By the way, we're watching the British Open. So uh, Tiger Tiger's going to have like the drives. 10, yeah, Tiger's going to have like incredible. ten feet for par. Yeah. So there's a par four. 
Uh, I want to say it's like 463 or something, uh, the ninth hole. Mm-hmm. And Dustin Johnson earlier today piped a drive on these concrete fairways that went 408 yards and up the left side. So he's just pitching on from yeah, 40 four, or 50 yeah. yards away. And Tiger took an iron off the tee because he's trying to be responsible and he's taking irons off the tees. And he hit it just a little bit off, a little bit right, 221 yards. So a 190-yard difference between Dustin Johnson's tee shot on that hole and Tiger Woods. And then because Tiger had a long approach into the hole, he put it in the front right bunker, and now he's looking for a tempo Look at this thing just, oh my God. It's concrete, yeah. It is, yes. You actually have to play different shots. You're playing on a parking lot. It's fun to watch too, because these guys are. It, it, a lot of people complain about these. A lot of these generic American tournaments where you hit a three hundred forty yard yeah. drive, and then you hit a nine iron into the hole or a wedge, and everything's the same. Uh, Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Our friend Chip Scoggins will come in here. He actually wrote. We haven't talked about this this week. So Eric Kaler is uh, is going to be no longer the U of M president. Is it a year from now? Yeah, next, He's going to stick around for another year? Until next July. And Chip took a look in a column on StarTribune.com. You can find it. Just from a sports and athletic department perspective, what needs to happen with that position? Not that that's the only thing that matters, obviously, as the university president, but there's that's been important. some yeah tumultuous relationships there. So we can talk about that when Chip gets in here, too. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zogad. You know, it's, it's just like his own reality show. Mackie and Judd. I love it. On 1500 ESPN. Calling all Loon fans. The 1500 ESPN promo team will be on the Tribal Nations Plaza, TCF Bank Stadium this Sunday for a Minnesota United pre-match party. Find us before the 6 p.m. kickoff for your chance to win prizes before United takes on LAFC. For more details and tickets, head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. Bang. How's yeah, Tiger doing now? 10-foot, drops a little 10-foot par and keep, keep the mo going. Max is more excited than you are, I think, yeah. by this. Max is you know, very excited. If you weren't such a fun police officer... Yeah, that was some beautiful stuff. You could find some joy in Tiger Woods. I find a lot of joy British in Open life. Legend. I find a lot of joy in life. Just man's failures are more intriguing than his successes. So it would it be more fun for you if Tiger shot plus 10 tomorrow to miss the cut or if you were in contention and possibly winning the British Open on Sunday? Honestly? you got to get sick of negativity at some point. Honestly, best case for me, probably stretchered off. <laughs> <laughs> probably he goes to putt and then just keeps going down and they're like, he's like, my back's gone out. So then they stretcher him off. And yeah, that would probably be the best case. I, I'm just saying from a... From a reporter standpoint of my you love morbid, Gertie watch my morbid curiosity when you drive- but that would be real because soccer it's BS that's what drives me crazy in soccer they're full of it if Tiger keeled and they gurneyed him off that'd be real <laughs> that'd be real pain and hey, then he won he, his his last major which is when Max was eleven years old he had a torn ACL right he grinded through it with a torn ACL well, didn't he break didn't he Break his leg or something? Broken bone in yeah, his leg was, and continue to play through ACL. that in the open? It yeah. was broken leg as well. He was it? Teddy, basically. Yeah. But he got up and continued playing. I think he had bad Achilles, too. Wow. it's a lot going wrong right there. Hey, this is totally random. I was going to bring this up at the end of yesterday's show and just completely forgot to. Uh-huh. I have a list right now. Forbes comes out with these these lists, like the, the team valuation lists. Yes. Forbes has a highest paid celebrities or entertainers list. Okay. So how much money they made in 2018 
Mm-hmm. And it's, by what I can tell, it's athletes, actors, and other celebrity personalities or TV people, just entertainers or, or celebrities. Can you guys guess who the top paid person was in 2018? Or you know what? If you could just, I'll, 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 who's in the top 10? Can you name anyone in the top 10? And like three or four of them. My first thoughts are like Beyonce or Jay-Z. Here, let me get on the uh, the bell or the buzzer. I'm sure they're in the, it's like a okay. hundred person list. I'm sure they're in, I'm just looking at the top 10. Okay, so we're talking celebrities like like movie stars and the like. Um, I previously would have said at one time George Clooney, but I don't think he's done that much of late. So I'd say no. Really? He's in there. He's number two. Wow, he, really? I think he sold. He he, I believe he sold the rights to some film. He he, oh, made, he made two hundred thirty-nine million dollars last year. Good. My bad. He sold. Yep, that makes sense. Or he then. sold the ca- some catalog. He sold something big last year. Um, we get more musicians. Oh, we get like Taylor Swift. Oh, Tay Tay's good. Yeah, Tay Tay. Yeah, Tay Tay. No, no, Tay Tay. Huh? She, again, she might be in the hundred. I'm just looking at the top ten. There, there, there's a band in here too. Band. There's, two, there's two bands. You too. Yeah, because when they tour, they just rake it in. Yes. Okay, but do you guys, I know Judd doesn't use iTunes. Do you use iTunes, Dave, for music at all or no? A little bit, not a whole lot. Because a couple of years ago, U2, somehow they struck a deal with iTunes where everyone who had iTunes just automatically got a free U2 yes, that's oh, right. album I that. on their phone. Yep. It's the most annoying thing ever because I don't like U2. <laughs> and so when I have my playlist on, when I have my just all the songs on my phone on random and a U2 song that I don't care about pops up, it drives me nuts. I suppose I could just delete it. But, you could. Yeah. That requires effort, though. Mm-hmm. How many? Do we have athletes in the top 10? Yes. Do yes. We get Ronaldo, maybe? LeBron? $108 million for Ronaldo. And LeBron did not make... He made money in endorsements, but he's not in the top 10. All right. More soccer players? A Messi or a Neymar? Messi's in here. You guys have nailed Ronaldo. Messi's not that... Messi, U2, down, and right? George Clooney. All right. Um, would be the other. You said there was another band in there, right? There's an athlete. There's a TV personality. Well, two TV personalities, a movie star, um, another band, hmm. and then a musician. Okay, let's okay. Tr- let's try and identify the band. What would the other band be? That's a good question. I, like I who know. is? I was thinking TV personalities. These are all be a very, right? very, very obvious. Rolling Stones. I'm going to give you the Kardashian one because it's Kylie Jenner. <laughs> yeah, the Forbes just came out. She's about to be a billionaire. Yeah, right? She made 166 million dollars last year. Rolling Stones for the band. Nope. More modern in the last 15 to 20 years. Come Stadiums. On, Ma- Come on, Max, help us out. You're young. Coldplay. Really? Gross. Coldplay raked in $115 million. Oh, get out. Are you go really home. your favorite band? I went to the Coldplay concert last year. Yeah, that's why I said go home. It's okay, man. You're not welcome here. You can like Coldplay. It's okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. There's another Coldplay music. shouldn't be in that list. We though. need a musician, a TV personality, an athlete, and a movie Hold star. On. Okay. Wow, this is a lot. You guys of are work. doing really well. You get Hold six on. out of TV ten. Another musician. Athlete, the athlete is, is amazingly obvious. Movie star, The Rock. There you go. Very good. You're yep. back in. All right, you can stay. The Rock, $124 million. We were waiting for that. You said the athlete is amazingly obvious? Yes. Brady? Did he make enough in endorsements? No. Um, is you it? said LeBron. It's not LeBron. It's is it someone from this side of the pond? <laughs> Mike Trout? Yes. No. It's, it's, it's an American. Yeah, Mike Trout. <laughs> is it Tiger? Get a free. It's an American. It's not Tiger. 
Is Michael Jordan still making a whole lot of money selling shoes? Sure, I'm, I'm sure he is. He's not in the top ten. Though. LeVar Ball, does he count? <laughs> Big baller brand blew up. <laughs> <laughs> he just couldn't deliver in time, and so he lost all that money. Man, he does, who he, is it? He doesn't play a team sport. Wait, 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 wait. He doesn't play. Oh, wait, wait, wait. He doesn't play a team sport, so it's... Uh, have we said Tiger yet? He, I think he did one. I think he literally did one thing all year. Oh, it, it's Floyd. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Floyd of course, Mayweather. Floyd. Really? Made $285 million off of the fight alone. Yes. How does Floyd go broke? Like, Floyd broke once spend, in a while. It's he, remarkable. He buys like $10 million watches just because on a weekend. You would think it'd be impossible right. to go broke if you're on that list. The two that you're missing are big names, but you're not going to get them. Ed Sheeran made $110 million last year. That's a travesty. And... <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> That's a travesty. That is an insult. That is the most insulting thing that I've heard in this country in a long should time. Should he give some money to the Jayhawks, Judd? You know what? Jayhawks. You know what? Perhaps he should just retire now. Go out on top, Ed. And this one, number four on the list. She's 75 years old, and she made $147 million last year. TV personality, Judge Judy. Oh, yes, that's right. She rakes it in. <laughs> Judge Judy. How, wait, wait, once again, how does that happen? That you get Indication, on the baby. Dude, that's where you make the money. She's on every TV in America, and she, I think she owns the rights to the production, right? Wow, well, good for her. So, there it is. Judge Judy. And you know what? Let's just do the rest of this list with Chip, okay? We're just going <laughs> to go one through one. You're going to guess the other 90. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Bobby Orr. Sid. Yeah, Sid. Sid at 19. <laughs> Amazing. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN.